Hello, this is Coach Tim Campbell, and I'm your host for the Self Made as a Myth Make a Difference Together show, where we are talking with successful business owners about their journey to building their business. And because we know that success in business is not something that we could do on our own, we're taking some time to recognize the folks who have uh, come alongside of us and helped us uh, through our journey to excelling. Today, I'm excited to have a fellow business owner uh, from Indiana with us today. My guest has been uh, check this out. This is funny. Married to improving health care for the elder and frail longer than he's actually been married. And in his downtime, he enjoys camping and hiking. And he is proud of uh, his family who are also uh, all in the healthcare field. It is my pleasure to welcome Tom to the show today. Hello, Tom. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's start with uh, having you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of your personal story, like where you were born, where you live, and a little bit about your family. Yeah, so Tom Haithgood, I have been in healthcare the vast majority of my life, not necessarily just career, but, but when I say all I know is healthcare, it's really all I know. Um, so I was born in Cincinnati, and we did a little bit of moving around to uh, parts of Kentucky, Louisville and Washington, before settling pretty early in my life, so still preteen in Indianapolis, and have been there since. Fantastic. And tell us about uh, the hiking and, and the things that you enjoy doing as hobbies. Where do you go hiking? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, so I do. So, so my wife and father-in-law is an elementary principal, so they had, growing up, they had summers off where they would leave for a month and, and go out west, go out east, go to multiple national parks. So when I first met my wife, she uh, convinced me that that was a good way to spend vacation. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're courting, so I'll go along with it. And sure enough, I fell in love with it. And, and so, we, you know, we, I always say that we kind of met in a in a uh, two-man tent, and we kind of did. So we, we went out <laughs> the last, traveled around in an old rickety rental car that we picked up out in Vegas and drove to all the national parks. And, oh, wow. So that was fantastic. Um, quite an experience and have done that ever since so we went from the two-man tent to a larger tent to a pop-up to a camper to and now it's uh, at least probably a couple of weeks a year we try and make it to at least one national park but Grand Tetons is by far my uh, my, my favorite area it was one of the most peaceful places I've ever been <laughs> fantastic so um, is there a funny story, Tom, that your family likes to tell about you that you'd be willing to share with us today? Yeah, and it actually has a little bit of a crossover to what we're talking about today as far as being in healthcare. That's what got me into healthcare is somewhat of a funny story. No one really remembers the details of, of what I said to my grandmother, but, but whatever it was, it led to me at about 11 years old to volunteering at a local county home. And, and so the county home was taking care of a, a lot of patients. And that's ultimately what led me into healthcare. was um, whatever it was I said to my grandmother led me <laughs> to a lot more grandparents. And, and so, you know, learned a unique language from the guys and unique skills from some of the ladies. And then it was, I just had a ball. So it was a, a great way to um, extend the social circle to helping frail elderly people at, a, at an age I didn't realize I was helping them. Yeah. I thought they were helping me. <laughs> so it was, it was a good experience, a good entryway. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit more about how the business came about and 
at what point did you have the confidence that you could run your own business? Yeah, so, you know, looking back over healthcare over the years and having that foundation of volunteering in a, in a nursing home for a decade before ever really realizing it was a business is when I started realizing that there's problems in healthcare. And, and at that same time, I was you know, either just getting older or maybe the business was getting more complex or more public, but I realized that there was a business of healthcare. I had always just thought it was... Um, more fortunate people in a community taking care of less fortunate people in a community. Mm. But the reality of it was, is it was a business. And, and so it was a business that I realized I wanted to be a part of, but that I didn't necessarily like. And, and so I realized that one, there's problems. And what do you do with a problem? You try and solve it. Mm. And, and so that was when I got into the nursing home management side um, around Indianapolis and we're working together with regional management companies and trying to improve systems, improve throughput of patients, and then went to more regional and then national and just got tired of traveling. And, and had a young family at the time and you know, kids in diapers and a wife at home and me being on the road was not exactly parallel to what she thought she was getting into. <laughs> and, and so ultimately came off of the road and started working together with a post-acute care physician that, that was in Indianapolis, Dr. Linda Strokes, it's somewhat legendary in my little world, and, and started working with her practice and basically under the pretense of, I'm going to get you safely into retirement, and, and, and then we'll figure out what to do with everything next. Throughout that time, started realizing there were complex problems in healthcare, not just superficial, you know, oh, focus on it on a Friday and by Monday it's fixed. <laughs> These were issues that were substantial, right? And and so at that point, um, started really working closely with our national trade association, AMDA, the American Medical Director Association. At the same time, that's a very clinical driven trade association. It's for physicians and nurse practitioners, physicians assistants that are working in the space of post-acute care. And how do you clinically do things better? What are new things that are coming to market? What are things that they can do to improve the outcome and ultimately decrease costs to Medicare for taking care of these patients? Right. And so once I started establishing a, a network of, of different post-acute care groups and getting and earning trust among peers that, that were other physician practices that were going on around the country, my role was all the business aspects of how do you successfully operate a practice that may be in fee-for-service looking to get into more value or maybe in value but struggling. Mm. And that was when um, kind of took that network of facilities, connected with a group of investors, and we formed one of the first um, post-acute care-centric accountable care organizations, which were ACOs, to try to improve patient outcomes at a decreased cost. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, a worldwide pandemic hits and, <laughs> and primarily impacts the patients in our, in our arena. Right. And so at the time I was working in Southern California and doing the long commute from Indiana to California, pandemic hits, trying to operate something with travel restrictions seven states away, 
had elected to step yes. down as the chief operating officer um, into a consulting and advisory role, and others started calling and, and going over what their issues were and what my skill sets was, and put those together, um, and, and now have been amassing um, a, a healthy following of, of people that have identified issues that Scepter Consulting is able to help address. And that was my gateway into getting into consulting. Yeah, fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit more about the company and uh, more specifically, how do you help folks through your consulting? Yeah, so it's uh, it's very much a boutique consulting firm. So it's a very narrow sliver of healthcare that I'm trying to improve. And, and that is, I think it'll be the third time and likely not the last time I'll say it, is that we're trying to improve a patient's outcome at a decreased cost to Medicare. Mm-hmm. So there, just that sentence alone has societal issues that people tend to be very afraid of dying and the decision maker is likely one at the worst time of their life to be making a decision like that because they're making a decision at an age that they're likely more afraid of passing away than anyone else in the system. Kids tend to be um, immune. They, they don't view death as anything that, but way down the horizon. Elderly patients are getting tired. They, now they're very much involved in the healthcare system and going back and forth between appointments. And then you've got a son or a daughter that at 50 years old is likely about the time that you start really fearing mortality. Mm. And, and so that can be very complex conversation for both the provider who's taking care of mom or dad, working together with the son or daughter. And so that really was how um, Scepter came about, was identifying physician practices that are in the post-acute care space and are trying to make that step from what's called fee-for-service medicine, which is you go in, you see a patient and you get paid $70. And if that led to a hospitalization, that's $15,000, but the doctor gets paid $75. And, and so that creates somewhat of a perverse environment that the more a, a physician does, the more revenue they have coming into the practice. But nobody was really looking at the outcomes of what, what that amounted to. It could be really expensive to Medicare. The doctor's doing really well. And but there's no measurable or discernible value to the system, either through improving that patient's outcome than what was expected or doing it at a decreased cost. So as accountable care organizations started to become um, pretty prominent, what I realized in building the post-acute care-centric ACO is that our problems were very different than a traditional ACO. Hmm. And that's because of the cost of a patient in the last year of life where they're spending about 60% of total Medicare dollars are spent in that last year. Right. And so trying to improve that communication, trying to get the physician to understand that they can not just get the the, the $75 for seeing the patient disconnected from the outcome of it, but if they avoid hospitalizations when they are avoidable, Mm -hmm. then 
they can participate in the overall savings generated to Medicare while also improving outcomes. Interesting. Very cool. So, Tom, tell us, um, tell us about a story where someone pushed you or inspired you that you could do it, even though maybe you weren't sure that you could, and the impact that that person had on you. Yeah, there's really, really two that that stand out in my career. One, one was Dr. Linda Strokes, and and a bit bit of a legend in our little world in the Indianapolis market, where she grew a very large practice on an inability to say no. Mm. That that was her um, fault, if you will. <laughs> Some an administrator or another physician practice would call and say, "I understand that you're covering patients in a nursing home. I can't cover X, Y, and Z. Can you do that?" And never, never failed. By the end of that call, she would say, "Yes, I will. I will figure out a way of being able to get there, whether it was an hour drive for her or not." She just couldn't sleep at night thinking that there's patients that a physician group has already said they're not doing a good job of covering. Right. She knew that she could improve that. Mm -hmm. And so with that coming in and helping to operate that, she really stretched my abilities to, um, one, find other providers that are interested in kind of being her and learning from her so that we could have a second generation of providers coming into this, not just one. And so that was, she definitely pushed and pulled and stretched and tried to figure out, you know, how do we put systems around a post-acute care physician practice mm. that can both promote new providers coming into the space, as well as to support her and her passion to not say no. <laughs> and so that was a big one. And then the other one is Dr. Kerry Weiner. He, he was the chief medical officer for IPC, which was at the time the largest post-acute care practice because America has the largest post-acute care system. It was the largest post-acute care physician practice in the world. And, and so as they were going through a, a sale and an acquisition to a group called Team Health, they started working with Kerry and he was the chief medical officer for me with Care Connect, which was the ACO we had, we had formed together. Mm -hmm. Really stretched my thinking and, and, and ability to kind of, it, just through conversation, be able to stretch me from a belief that I had was thought was ingrained to new levels of thinking and thought on these types of patients. You know, how do you go from me being at ground level for the most part in my career and working together with individual patients and working together with individual providers to thinking more like a population. Mm -hmm. you know, there, it's very different to start thinking about 25,000 patients and their improved outcomes at a decreased cost than it is a patient or a couple hundred patients that a, that a physician practice may be following in this space. So there was a lot of push and pull to get me from where I was to where I've ultimately been. Fantastic. Awesome. I love the, the impact that those two had on you. So um, over the years, what's been your biggest learning as a business owner? Wow. That, that it's, you know, more complex than just going through and, and registering with the secretary. <laughs> of state. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, now I have an LLC. What do I do with it? And, and it was some of those pain points that, for the most part, someone else was handling in my career. And I, I just knew 
did my little sliver of work and, and would go home and felt good about it most days and then wake up and wash and repeat. Yeah. On the consulting side, it was that whole, it took all the bandwidth to kind of get the business of it set up, but at the same time, trying to identify clients that had a very shared vision yeah. and that were, had identified problems in that very narrow sliver that I had a skill set. Sure. Yeah. And so there were certainly challenges with that it's, it, I, I appreciate you saying that because the education system teaches us how to be employees, right? And then as employees, we learn how to be better employees. And for those of us who go out on our own, we're, we're not prepared for everything that's needed and required to be a business owner. There's a significant learning curve uh, to, to be able to do that. So I thank you for sharing that for, for folks listening that um, who are pondering going out on their own. You, you do want to invest in you know, learning how to to build a business, how to create a business, how to start a business, and and there are folks out there that can help you with that if if you are struggling and not sure, you know, all the different things that you need to do to to even just you know get the business set up. So Tom, this, we is, this is always a good time for me to highlight Indiana University School of Medicine Ooh. now has a an executive physician MBA program. It's it's sorely missing from medical schools across the country and healthcare in general is to understand that this is a business and it's not something that we should hide behind. It's something that we should leverage and tout. And and but it, it needs to have physician leaders in the market that understand the business aspects so that you can hit those two pillars of improving patient outcomes at a decreased cost and do that responsibly. Yeah, that's awesome. We know that business success doesn't happen in isolation, Tom. So tell us about one of your biggest challenges uh, during the years and maybe a fellow business owner who came alongside you and helped you through it. Um, COVID. And it, it's been the most disruptive yeah. aspect of healthcare that I've ever seen. You know, there were a career worth of changes in the regulatory environment of both the physician practice as well as the post-acute care segment that I've ever seen. And it, it, within a couple of weeks, I saw more changes coming out of Medicare than I had seen in my entire career, some of which I've been asking for my entire career <laughs> and so I wished I wouldn't have asked for that that ended up becoming much more disruptive than I originally had thought mm. and, and so as started developing that network of people from around the country that were also impacted by COVID um, it was really an impressive challenge to work together with some of the physicians that were very early in the impact. So the first U.S. citizen who passed away in a nursing home in Northwest, in the Northwest, and how emotionally charged as it was kind of making its way across the country from the west to the east, and then ultimately the east to the to the Midwest was disheartening as well as the amount of challenges that the facility, that the groups, that anyone in the healthcare space was faced with during COVID. That has to be the, the, the big pinpoint on a map to say, this is when things changed. 
And was there someone that uh, that you relied on to help you navigate through that? I don't know if it was an individual as much as it was an industry. Yeah. Um, so, so the industry was really trying to unite the information coming out of the CDC, the information, how that was getting interpreted at the facility, how that was getting relayed back to the physician practice, the amount of confusion around these new things that we could do, old things that we shouldn't do. Right. And, and that really fostered a very close network of people that became the interpreters. Mm. They became more or less all the information that was coming down was really getting distilled out by 15, 20 of us that were hashing out yeah. what our interpretations of these things were and then be able to roll that back out to the industry um, was one, rewarding, but two, it, it was comforting. It, it was it was a time of crisis mm -hmm. that instead of just kind of waiting for it, I felt like we were a handful of people pulling on levers that were really helping people. Yeah, that's awesome. I one of the things I hear a lot with from business owners is that it's can be lonely at the top. Right, as an employee, we always had a manager or, or somebody to go to 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 think it out loud and talk it through, and then we become business owners and that person's gone. So it sounds like that group that you just described was that. Right. In terms of having somebody to think it out loud with and bounce ideas off of and and double check stuff before, you know, making decisions and then feeling better about the decisions you're making because you've had different people's uh, points of view and perspective on it. Yeah, that's, that's hey, I think that's a, a good uh, I don't know if it's the right word, but but a good way of. I've always said that if I walk into a room and I'm the most intelligent person there, I have to be in the wrong room. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, to me, that relies on always wanting to learn. Mm. At the same time, you're trying to teach what you've learned, yeah. but it's always learning. It's always trying to take in more information so that then you can distill it down into its simplest form in order to have other people um gravitate toward that i've always said that if you, if you teach the impossible the practical comes natural <laughs> and and so as we talk about healthcare there's some impossibilities in that but there are some real practical applications pretty much everything new coming out uh, it just takes distilling it down to what is actionable and what is sure yeah it makes sense um if i asked you to pick three people in your business owner journey that you're most grateful for them being there to help with your business's growth. Uh, who are those three people and how'd they help you? Yeah, so two of them I've talked about. So, so Linda Stropes and, and, and Carrie Weiner, both physicians in this space, but really much earlier in my career, my first um, conference with AMDA, the American Medical Director Association, was in 2008 in Salt Lake City. I kind of knew that that was going to be my trade association home, but to sit through a four hour purely medical clinical conversation was way above my pay grade. You know, I'm not a clinician. I, I, I simply look at different aspects of, of healthcare than what a prescriber would in trying to improve that outcome. And, and so met together while I was there with two other people that weren't going to sessions, but I kept seeing them in the hallways. 
it's it, so ultimately we got to talking and that was Rod Baird and, and Brad Markowitz. So, so at the time, they were also on the business aspects of running post-acute care practices or working together with various practices. Mm-hmm. Once, I, once I felt like we formed a little bit of a network, uh, you know, there were three of us that would hash out business ideas on, on what do you think, what do you do to counter this, what do I do to counter that? Ultimately, that became known as what was the vision group, mm. which were people that were running post-acute care practices, but wanted to know more about the business aspects of successfully running a post-acute care practice. Mm. And ultimately, the vision group came to represent about 5,000 physicians around the country, where we merged that into um, a practice management section, to which I'm the chair for AMDA. So we moved the vision group from just peripheral to the clinical embodiment of AMDA, and created a new section with them to oversee the business aspects of operating a practice. That's and amazing. so today the vision group is now known as the practice group network. Okay, wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. What a great story. Tom, as you think about the next three to five years, what are the biggest challenges that you see that you'll face in hitting your company goals? And who are the types of people you're going to need to overcome those challenges? Yeah, so it's... Um, and this is probably a little bit more granular than what, what people would want, but because my knowledge base is in a very sliver, narrow <laughs> sliver, <laughs> some things I say may not mean much to the to the population masses, but but mean a lot to our industry. But what what I think we really need to do, both societally, is gain a better understanding of the dying process and what that last year of life looks like in both a torturous environment, which is a patient going in and out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital procedures, and then ultimately passing away, to a much more um, involved and interactive experience between the clinician and the patient and family on Mm -hmm. that collective decision-making. The the other area is on the IT side. Almost every industry except for healthcare has really put tremendous amount of thought into their IT infrastructure. In healthcare, it's it's untouched. I mean, it, there there are there are so many silos of information that don't talk to each other. Physician comes in, they have no idea what other physicians have done, so they just kind of recreate the wheel. And how do we become more interoperable between EHR systems that may not be under the same umbrella, mm-hmm. but are working with the same patient? Right. Wow. That that's a uh, that sounds like a big, hairy, audacious goal. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get that fixed before I leave this industry, uh, I, I will be uh, very happy. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, last question here, Tom. Jim Rohn says that we become the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So as you think about um, that quote, and uh, what advice would you have for the business owners out there who are trying to do it on their own, who, who think that they need to do it on their own, that, that believe that, that, that they can't or shouldn't ask for help? Um, first off, always ask for help, even when you don't need it. You know, that, that's when you tend to learn the most. 
mm-hmm. and and have a have a big network have, have people that you can count on to kind of leave the competitive tendencies at the door and improve healthcare mm-hmm. and and that's that's i think it is I've had challenges with that in my career that that you know when I'm working together with a logo in the industry it can be very challenging it's like well we've improved all of these healthcare systems they're proprietary and don't talk about them <laughs> that that has never made sense to me right. if we're doing something better for elderly patients in America why not speak to the masses and so that's always my prerequisite is that I don't look at competitiveness at all in this industry. And if there's anything that I can highly recommend and probably people in any industry is to have a network of similar minded people, but that are not so similar. They don't stretch your own thinking. Sure. I, I like that idea of not being, um, not keeping it to ourselves. So, you know, the, the, there's a couple, you know, competitive is the word you use and then uh, what we like to talk about is coopetition instead of competition, right? It's like, hey, we all we all are better if we raise, you know, the, we raise the level for everyone versus a scarcity mentality of, hey, I have to take from you and therefore I have to protect right, my knowledge and, and keep my information proprietary versus, hey, if if we just do good for everybody, right, then there's more money available to pay us all and and uh so that abundance mentality i think is similar to what you were just describing is that does that resonate with you it does absolutely fantastic so hey tom um it sounds like you've been blessed with some incredible people that uh, have been part of your journey and and helped you in your business so if they were all here on the show today what would you like to say to them thank you that that's that's this the the easy one there there were always various pain points usually coming from an industry or working together with another industry which would be like nursing home operators that created pain points and without that network without the people that have had a significant um, influence on what i do professionally um couldn't have gotten here on my own Mm. i know that Awesome. Tom, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Tim. To everyone who tuned in, thanks for listening to Self-Made is a Miss show with your host, Coach Tim Campbell. Be sure to help spread this movement by liking the show and posting about it on your social media. And to join our movement, go to BeMadTogether.com. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Make sure to pay it forward, and I'll see you all next time. Take care.